Environment, sustainability, green initiatives, and a reality check on energy transition and decarbonisation. Mr. Moderator, go yours. Uh, hello everyone, uh, thank you to the organizers for the invitation uh, to this uh, prestigious panel on this very important topic. Uh, my name is Paul Sedoro, I'm a director with the Intelloids Insurance Business and also Polidarius GS Sustainability Services Offering. Uh, where we support organizations across industries on topics such as ESG strategy, reporting and disclosures, uh, risk management, as well as regulatory adherence. Um, I'm very pleased to be joined by uh, a number of industry leaders, uh, starting with, uh, on my left, uh, Mr. John Kokarakis, uh, who is the technical director for Beru Veritas. Uh, Dr. Uh, sorry, uh, maybe Dr. Uh, Mr. John Estradiu, uh, who is the head of the Marine Environment Unit at the Shipping uh, Deputy Minister in Cyprus, uh, Ms. Harris Plagandonaki, uh, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at Star Park Carriers, uh, Mr. Filipos Filis, CEO of Lemi Solar Navigation and President of EXA, uh, as well as Dr. Lucas Parparis, President of Safe Parkers. Uh, welcome everyone to the panel today. Um, just before we kick off, uh, I know there's other sessions later on that focus on some of the key topics that actually impact sustainability such as alternative fuels, uh, technology innovation, alternative financing. Uh, and in this session, we want to kind of set the context of uh, what, when we discuss sustainability, uh, where we can stand on regulation, what are going to be the key uh, challenges for the industry to adhere to these regulatory uh, policies, uh, as well as what could be some of the short-term as well as the long-term uh, initiatives and uh, priorities for organizations uh, to address sustainability, and potential example solutions and technological solutions that can support that uh, decarbonization pathway. Uh, definitely, uh, a couple of months ago in the World Economic Forum, uh, the World Poly Crisis was mentioned a lot, and there's definitely a lot of uh, risks that are becoming priorities uh, within, uh, within the globe. We know that the, um, what we've seen is post COVID, the aftershocks of, of that, the rising inflation, the cost of the crisis, and so on, have really taken priority lately. Uh, but sustainability uh, shouldn't come to be pushed back. Uh, within the same forum, uh, the top 10 risks that have been identified, the five or six for the risks for the next 10 years, have, are all uh, sustainability related. Whether that be failure to adapt to climate change, failure to mitigate climate change, uh, natural resource depletion, uh, biodiversity collapse, and so on. So it's quite important across industries to, to consider that, but also as the shipping industry uh, both is impacted from these uh, natural uh, environmental implications, but also impacts negatively as well uh, the environment. Uh, that double U needs to be considered, uh, and definitely the regulators have a big role to play in that. And by the first question uh, to Mr. Yannis Sardiu, uh, what's the current regulatory environment, uh, both internationally and abroad, and where we see heading in the next uh, couple of years now. First of all, a warm and good morning to all. Thank you, Nikos, for inviting me once again. It seems that in addition to the live chairman of the forum, I am a live panelist of the forum, so thank you about that. Uh, we are in a panel with uh, two presidents, 
three directors and one uh, chief strategic officer with absolute gender balance. It's Harris and the rest of us. So please make sure that next time we be more women on the panel because I did believe that uh, women are more sensitive than men in, in environmental issues. And I will start uh, with, uh, let's say, a statement that uh, global challenges uh, such as climate change can only be mitigated if we are all act together. This statement implies that we are in favor of global measures. And just to make it more interactive, is anybody in this room that disagrees with uh, that statement? Obviously not. But it's a wishful thinking because the reality is that we are just a breath before EU adopts measures, legislative acts, to extend the shipping industry to ETS and in addition to that, to adopt the QLE humanitarian regulation. But let's start with international measures. I have the impression that all of us who are uh, more familiar with that, what was happening since 1st of January this year, obviously all of you that uh, have ships under your management, management have submitted your same part three plan in order to be approved by your classification society. You have to apply technical and operational measures. EXI, once is a, in a lifetime, it's related with technical measures and just to start it to be, let's say, provocative. I have the impression that it will not be the only time that you will calculate your EXI, it's related. While and operational measures, the famous CII, the carbon intensity indicator. I know that there are complaints that it would be emission impossible to achieve the targets of CER, but the worst are coming because for the time being, the limits for CII is up to 2026. So, at IMO level, we will start negotiations and to consider of, of proposals to amend, some people will say, to further strengthen the CII. So, the next milestone is the revision of the IMO strategy. It will take uh, place at MEPC this year, and at least from the EU member states, because the 27 member states of the EU submitted a document at the intersectional group 13, saying that, among others, our intention is to further strengthen EXI and CIA. That's why I tell you initially that uh, there is a possibility to calculate your EXI in the future. 
this is all about IMO. Now I'm going to EPS, I will be brief. There was an agreement between the co-legislators, so it's a directive that shipping will be something new. There are in progress discussion about uh, road transport, about building, so I'm not sure when this uh, new piece of legislation will be adopted. Surely before the end of this year, preferably in the next uh, couple of months during the Swedish presidency, at least for shipping everything is agreed. I will go briefly say that, uh, uh, let's say, the obligation of the commercial operator is there. However, vis-a-vis -vis the regulation, the responsible authority, it's the owner or simply the ISM company. So it, it gives you, let's say, the legal base in order to negotiate with your commercial operator. This is true. But vis-a-vis -vis the regulation, the, the, the competent authority is uh, the ship management company. You, are, you all know the mission scope, uh, ships uh, transporting cargo passengers more than 5,000 GT. Uh, next step is to include ships between 400 and 5,000. That's why we will amend also the MRP regulation. Uh, methane and nitrous oxide will be included in the scheme by the year 2026. For intra EU uh, routes 100%, emissions on voyage in, in on out of EU area is 50%, and there are, are also provisions for transshipment of containers for ports outside Europe. To be honest with you, I have my doubts how to apply this part of this legislation. I read uh, recently articles that there are loopholes and that uh, some ports in UK or Morocco will take advantage and that it is impossible to close all the, all the loopholes. We will see. And share of emissions to EUETS, 24, 25, 26, starting for 40%. To 70%, going to 100%. I have the impression that the Philippos is more uh, special than me, and it will go more on, on that uh, part of the legislation. And, and now we are going to fuel the maritime. Uh, there is a work in front of us. It seems that between the co-legislators, especially the member states and the parliament, there are, let's say, some disagreements. So there are open issues that we have to be agreed. And despite the fact that between the member states there was a general approach, a general agreement, uh, let's say that the, the, the parliament has more ambitious targets, so what is still open to be decided, hopefully, soon and during uh, the Swedish uh, 
presidency are the targets for reducing greenhouse gas intensity of energy use on board ships and producing a subquota for RFNPOs. I have my, my notes what uh, that means, the renewable liquid and gases fuels for of non-biological energy. The fossil fuel certification provisions, land-based power supply berthing OPS, exclusion of the scope uh, for small islands and uh, the so-called public service obligation. This is a, of a particular interest for Cyprus because uh, uh, the link between uh, Cyprus and continental Europe for the time being, Cyprus and Bulgaria is accepted from the time being up and time. This was agreed uh, during the general approach. So some countries, for example, Greece, try to take extend, uh, exceptions from inland uh, navigation. The EU clause is also open, and the penalty and allocations, in other words, the, pay, the payments of amounts, uh, there are two, uh, let's say, two, uh, two main ideas. Either go to the innovation fund or to the general fund of the member states. Uh, I might agree because I have a lot of issues to cover. Thank you, Thanks, Sonia. Definitely a lot, of, a lot of developments in the last year, and uh, that means big challenges for the industry. Uh, so I guess we we'll focus a bit more on, on Europe and EU ETFs and um, purely maritime. Uh, perhaps, Philippe, you can let us know a bit on the challenges of the industry with the location of EU ETFs and how do you see this uh, evolving as well with uh, what, what kind of challenge are we expecting with the purely maritime as well? Now maybe yes. Okay. Uh, said a few controversial issues that I The first thing is that we have on this table a city, a regulator, and a role. And fifth, represented in private sector, just to make it clear from the medical perspective. Uh, I will take something that I had in the previous panel uh, related with the complexity that all these regulators are adding to the shipping industry. And in fact, uh, it's also what worries. Okay, and in fact, uh, this complexity is. Uh, which always uh, having hidden cost, an enormous hidden cost. This was also one of the main reasons uh, why EXA, uh, as a ship owners uh, association of uh, the European uh, ship owning industry, has been uh, advocating for many regulations uh, to reduce administrative burden on the SMEs. And bear in mind that 80% of the uh, uh, shipping companies in uh, Europe are SMEs. Uh, so it was one of the, of, of the major issues. So going now to uh, the regulation, and I, and I have to uh, repeat maybe uh, in, in different ways some uh, topics that uh, Jan uh, mentioned before. Uh, initially there were 
a number of red lines uh, faced uh, by the shipbuilding industry. And the first thing it was uh, to ensure that the good space principle is prominent united. And following that, uh, it was a very big battle to convince the regulators that we have to transfer our shipboard as a cost to the commercial operators. Uh, it was a difficult target because uh, even the definition of the shipboard company within the, the European legislative is a mess. Uh, practically includes everybody and nobody. Uh, so it was very tough to change that definition. Uh, therefore, uh, we have we have a difficult target to convince the, uh, the regulators that we as ship owners, we chartered the ship out, the somebody else is responsible for the speed, for the cargo, for the road, for the uh, fuel that they will uh, load. So this was our main argument. And in fact, we, we managed to do that. And I disagree with Yannis because it's not a matter of negotiation. The uh, law explicitly says, and by accident have it here with me, members states shall take the, the, the necessary measure to ensure that when the ultimate responsibility for the purchase of the fuel and or the operation of the ship is assumed by a different entity than the shipping company, pursuant to contractual arrangement, the shipping company is entitled for the investment and shall. That means it's a mandatory obligation. It's an obligation. Uh, so it's not a matter of negotiations, and uh, and I and I from here I just uh, address the issue to the charters. We have to find a way how to introduce this clause within our charter parties, and this cost is a cost that has to be borne by the by the operators. Of course, when the the ship owning company is not operating the ship, the ships uh, itself. This was the first uh, I can say win. Uh, where uh, uh, the legislation uh, covers this uh, extraordinary or uh, very very important matter for us. Uh, the second very important matter was just to uh, have a say, uh, or at least to get uh, to ensure that the ETS revenues are reinvested back in the ship. And uh, this uh, has been uh, a huge discussion and a huge lobby from us to manage uh, from zero, which initially was uh, dedicated for us, uh, to reach the level that we, we got an allowance of uh, uh, 20 million allowances, which uh, with the today price is about 2 billion over the first period. And uh, I think we are expecting uh, this amount to, uh, to increase. So, uh, additional uh, matters were like the phasing period, uh, unfortunately, there we didn't manage a lot, but uh, as I began this mission, we have uh, the initial period where we are reporting now uh, MRV. Next year's reporting, uh, we have to pay the 40% in 2025, but for the use of 24, and then going forward 70% for the use of 25, 10, 26, and 100% uh, as of 20, uh, uh, 27. And uh, all allowances, uh, practically the remaining allowances, would be cancelled by uh, by the states. So, uh, what is included? Is included at this moment uh, only uh, CO2, and then uh, you have uh, 
the uh, responsibility to report in the EUMRB uh, based on the amendments uh, that have uh, done recently. Uh, the, the, apart from the CO2, the methane and the nitrous oxides. And actually, as from uh, 26, uh, this will be incorporated in the emissions that we have to pay, uh, we have to surrender the allowances. Uh, it's correct that there uh, uh, was a, a huge discussion regarding the GT benchmark, uh, both in the ICS level but uh, also at the European level. We have been trying to push. Uh, above 400 uh, GT, it was impossible because obviously a lot of uh, member states uh, they are uh, very highly affected, and uh, therefore uh, this has been uh, postponed. So uh, you will start reporting uh, these small categories. They will start reporting, and as for 26, uh, the uh, Commission I think will decide whether this will uh, be accounted or uh, or not. Uh, now, a uh, very important thing is uh, to talk a little bit about the activities that are, are incorporated in the UHS. Is any activities that are related with cargo and passengers, and also the transportation on, on offshore on offshore facilities of the of the crew is included. What is not included is the so-called innocent passage uh, when you just pass through the European Union, but also. Uh, activities like refueling, like repairs, emergency repairs or scheduled repairs, even uh, activities regarding the, uh, the search and rescue activities, and also, uh, to my surprise, the ship-to-ship -ship transfers are also excluded from uh, the regulation. And I think this will remain uh, the same. Now, going to the geographical school, uh, you can just imagine three concentric circles. The inside circle is the uh, intra-EU trade, 100% are included in UETS. Uh, the second circle is the uh, uh, practically the, the all international in and out uh, uh, trips in Europe, and there uh, we calculate 50 per, the, the regulation calculates 50% of the region. And then the third one uh, is what Yami uh, uh, said. Uh, to avoid the transshipment of mainly containers, there is a zone of 300 miles. And I think 300 miles covers most of the areas, including Turkey, etc. Maybe Damietta, as a very well established transshipment uh, port, uh, cannot be included because there are a lot of uh, scheduled uh, services are already doing that uh, exercise. I am not sure, I'm, I do not agree 100% with you that this will be difficult to implement. Uh, because uh, I think uh, MRP captures everything and I believe uh, this will be easy to cover. Sorry, just questions of time. Uh, yeah, uh, this is the reason I asked when you are questioning the person. <laughs> uh, very quickly, uh, I will go through to the rest. Uh, uh, what is important to know is that uh, uh, all revenues uh, are going to the states. Uh, that there is a regulation how which states are eligible for which uh, uh, revenues, and uh, out of this 75 percent remains to the state, but is obligation to be reinvested back in the uh, in the uh, climate-related activities, not shipping, but in general. And the 25 percent goes back to Europe, where 
uh, you have a couple of funds. One of those is the Innovation Fund and all the Social Climate Fund, etc. Well, there uh, we are eligible as an industry to apply for uh, specific projects for uh, uh, for getting money uh, towards the climate uh, or to, uh, towards the decarbonization. Um, just maybe another couple of important points. Um, uh, what, which countries are eligible? Uh, only you uh, ships that are already registered are registered to their own uh, states. Therefore, uh, they they have to pay the, uh, to surrender the allowances to uh, to their own state. Then you have all the rest, uh, all the other ships that are uh, calling uh, Europe occasionally. The uh, member state that has the right to register uh, these revenues is, is there where the ship over the last four years has the most uh, calls. Uh, so one ship is called, if calls regularly uh, Rotterdam and uh, this is the main uh, port there where uh, Netherlands is a state that uh, has to surrender allowance. And for those who never did that over that period, uh, the first port of call Immediately, the country uh, that is related, uh, the, country, the state there, uh, is a title uh, state to uh, register this vessel for the surrounding uh, of uh, the emissions, um, the allowances. So, do I have another one minute? Uh, maybe I think. Okay. Uh, so, uh, I will read a bit about the EU, but okay. Yeah, we can. We, we do have time later. Yeah, we can cover that as well. Uh, I guess definitely a lot of challenges uh, for the industry, and uh, I guess Paris. Um, what should be those kind of key priorities and short-term objectives, and to kind of address everything that kind of really was mentioned? Thank you, Manajoti. Good morning, everyone, and thank you to the organizers for inviting me to speak here today. So, Yanis and Filipos have laid out the, regu the regulatory environment ahead of us, and uh, a lot of challenges, both globally but also regionally. What is it that we as an industry can do in the short term to address these challenges? First and foremost, we need to focus on improving the energy efficiency of the existing fleet. And in order to do that, it is important that we first understand how our vessels are performing. Now, this goes back also to a lot that was discussed in the previous panel, but the technology related uh, to vessel performance monitoring, whether we talk about onboard telemetry, sensors, high-frequency data, has advanced a lot during the last few years. It is important that we leverage these technologies in order to have accurate speed consumption models, to know what our vessels are performing under different weather conditions, and of course to have the right people in the office who are monitoring this information daily and are able to take decisions and prompt action whenever we see cases of overconsumption. Now, of course, all this means additional costs, both in terms of systems but also in terms of people, from our experience, this is an investment that pays back because we're able to identify overconsumption cases early on and take prompt action. So vessel performance monitoring is definitely a first priority. Then a second priority is trying to keep the hulls of the vessels as clean as possible. Uh, there are traditional methods on how to do it and everyone's familiar with those, using advanced anti-fouling paints, optimizing hull, interv hull cleaning intervals, 
uh, making sure that we minimize court stay. Now there are also new developments with technologies being developed, for example, remotely operated hard cleaning robots. So one needs to leverage again these new technologies to make sure that uh, we perform hull maintenance as best as possible and we have good hull condition. And it is, for us it is impressive uh, the savings in terms of fuel consumption that we're able to achieve by making sure our hulls are, are clean. Um, as a third priority, uh, shipping companies should look into technical solutions of course, this means additional capital expenditure, but uh, thankfully they have a payback period. Whether we talk about uh, main engine improvements like engine power limitation um, or uh, propeller ducts, uh, propeller boss cap fins, uh, these are solutions that exist in the market. Uh, there is financing out there, there is green financing for companies that uh, cannot afford to make the investment, and as I said, there is a payback period. On the operational front, uh, again, we see a lot of technology around voltage optimization platforms, whether we're talking about weather routing, uh, speed optimization, just-in-time operations, uh, many new services, new platforms and technologies are, are coming into the market every day. We see that they use advanced algorithms, they use artificial intelligence, so uh, there are a lot of solutions out there for shipping companies to choose from and select the products that are more suitable for their needs. So um, to sum up, we have uh, vessel performance monitoring, uh, we have uh, hull maintenance and condition, we have technical solutions, we have operational solutions. Uh, another short-term uh, objective could be also the dropping fuels, biofuels, which uh, uh, which can blend with traditional marine fuels, uh, however, in the absence of, uh, of subsidies from European countries, perhaps in the future, uh, the business case is not there yet, but this could be also uh, a short-term solution in the sense that it is available and it helps the vessel improve its carbon intensity. Um, now, uh, along with focusing on available solutions uh, in order to improve the energy efficiency of the global fleet, in the short term it's also important to prepare for the long term as well. And um, contrary to the short term where the solutions are available, technologies are mature, they are developing, but there is availability. The solutions for the longer run, whether we talk about um, green technologies like carbon capture and storage on board the ship or the different clean fuels that our industry is currently examining, they are not mature yet. We all read a lot about this, a lot of uh, developments, a lot of hypotheses, assumptions. Uh, so especially for shipping companies that uh, have the scale and the resources to contribute to the research and development and to the feasibility analysis for clean technologies and clean fuels, it is important to play that role. Uh, one such example globally are the, the various green corridor projects that are taking place across geographies. These are projects that um, try to uh, assess the feasibility of creating green corridors in specific geographical areas of the world, specific trade routes, as a first practical step to then help scale up similar efforts in other geographies of the world. So this is an indicative example of how shipping companies can contribute to feasibility, to R&D, uh, in order to prepare the ground for the longer-term challenges. So, so to sum up, in the short-term, Panagioti, let's leverage technology to improve the energy efficiency of the existing fleet, but let's also prepare for the future. Thank you.
Thank you, Harris. Uh, I think he touched upon a bit on that, that you know, besides the short-term solutions, there should be a long-term view. Uh, and perhaps, Luga, you can give us from your perspective, what could be the kind of those long-term uh, objectives that the industry should have and where do we see uh, this decarbonization pathway leading us to? Uh, when we speak about uh, mid-term measures, uh, we refer to a number of uh, regulations that are being will be adopted uh, shortly, uh, targeting uh, to reduce uh, the greenhouse gas emissions in the EMA from shipping uh, in the following years. Uh, there are several schemes uh, that have been proposed by countries, supported by a number of countries, each one. Uh, we refer to more uh, simple uh, schemes which uh, relate to a, an addition of about uh, 0.624 uh, dollars per ton or in uh, the price of the fuel to, to pay for an R&D. Uh, other proposals, uh, that was a Denmark proposal, other proposals refer to, uh, to levies, a level of 100 uh, dollars. Uh, this is a massive island proposal uh, that will be implemented in, in the SIPs and uh, support uh, green transition in R&D. Uh, proposals uh, that, uh, have, uh, that are using uh, the CII upper and lower limit of uh, C uh, to, uh, to put a, uh, to burden the seats which have, uh, which are operated above the upper limit and uh, assist uh, and uh, support the seats which are operated below the lower sea level. Uh, and um, a proposal like the Japanese scheme, which is, uh, which refers to, uh, to, 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 to put a, a levy on the fossil fuel ships uh, and uh, assist uh, the newcomers, the, the new investors and the newcomers and new technologies. Uh, and uh, also, as we all know, that uh, the target is to reach uh, zero percent emissions either uh, towards 2050 or 2070. There are several uh, ideas there. Uh, we, I mean, also uh, the proposals uh, relate to the greenhouse uh, gas uh, emission intensity, uh, which has to gradually be reduced uh, towards either zero percent or 35 percent towards 2050. The end result here is the following. First of all, uh, two things. Until recently, we paid only for the fuel. Now, which is, the, let's say, assume that when we say fuel, we, we speak about the carbon molecule of the fuel. Now we're paying for the oxygen of the fuel, or of the oxygen molecule of the, fuel, of, the, of the CO2, which is basically we pay for the air that we are using. So when you do a combustion, you need to pay from now on to the air. And who is going to pay for that? At the end of the day, the end consumer will pay for that. And of course, uh, there are efforts to uh, who will undertake the cost, uh, either the, the charter or the owner. Uh, of course, uh, at the end of the day, the cost will be transferred somehow to the owner, at least in terms of competition, because a better consuming vessel will have an advantage in the market because we'll, we'll have to carry or we'll, we'll be burdened with lower, uh, with, with lower taxes. Uh, in the mid-term, mid we need to see what will be the developments in the in new fuels, the alternative uh, fuels as uh, they call them, 
uh, and how we can gradually move towards uh, this direction. Uh, and uh, even, uh, I mean, there are several ideas, uh, even uh, speaking about, uh, in the most remote future, about uh, a small uh, nuclear reactors that will be used to, to uh, in a ship for uh, the full life of uh, the full lifetime of the vessel. So these are basically where we stand, and I think we need to pay attention to that, and uh, because uh, otherwise we have a risk to lose competitiveness if we are not following the regulations. Thanks, Lorenzo. Definitely a big uh, debate around the future of the future there. Uh, so I guess a number of solutions were mentioned by the, the by the panelists, but uh, John, from your perspective, what's those? Culture solutions that can best can support us in this uh, decarbonization pathway, uh, and perhaps uh, what's the role of classification as well. Thank you, Panos. With the risk of opening of the Pandora's box, I will ask a rhetorical question. Like, for example, do we really need the CII index for decarbonization? The answer is not a clear yes or no. But what I can tell you is that the most effective way to play with it, to comply with it and have good rating, not necessarily always, is to utilize the emerging alternative fuels, the zero carbon or low carbon uh, fuels. And classes are doing extensive R&D joint industry feasibility studies, techno-economic studies, helping the ship owners to have green ships of the future for long-term planning. At the same time, we issue the so-called green regulations for the shippers that are environmentally sensitive. This will help reduce the environmental, the risk of environmental pollution and promote sustainability. Uh, we assist banks and financial institutions to check compliance with Poseidon principles, for example. What is Poseidon principles? It's a global framework that checks alignment of the shipping companies with the IMO targets for the reduction of greenhouse gases. And let's not forget that the future fuel is collaboration. And classes are the incubators of collaboration. We are putting together all the stakeholders. So classes are really important. Uh, this, of course, as we say in Greece, the priest uh, blesses its uh, beard. But uh, I would like to say that uh, what we see is that electrification, for example, and, and uh, decarbonization go hand in hand. So what is critical is cheap electricity. How can we produce cheap electricity? Dr. Barbaris mentioned nuclear energy. Why not? We need cheap electricity. We need to make green hydrogen, for example, in the future, because the prediction is that hydrogen will replace fossil fuels in moving the cars. Uh, yes, electric cars are probably something a thing of today, but Hydrogen gives you more energy per unit weight, so it's more efficient. 
uh, not energy efficient, but it's it's better, more energy per weight than uh, batteries. We need to have cheap energy storage. We have short term, like uh, lithium ion and cobalt batteries, and the price has been reduced five times to 200 kilo, uh, 200 dollars per kilowatt hour, and also long term storage of energy. What will happen when the, the wind doesn't blow and uh, we don't have sh uh, sun? Uh, so we need to store it. Google X project stores energy in uh, molten salt. Uh, we have uh, storage of hydrogen. Hydrogen is a great, is the great uh, energy storage uh, carrier. Uh, it's the mother of all fuels, as I like to, to say, because we have the carbon capsule mentioned by Harris. Carbon capsule will take CO2 from the uh, from the exhaust gases, and not only, uh, it's going to take directly uh, carbon dioxide from the air, direct air capsule, and the price is projected to be reduced to less than a hundred dollars per ton of capsule carbon dioxide. And if we use the capsule carbon dioxide to make fuels of the future, synthetic fuels. The price of the carbon capsule will be reduced even more. So why not? Uh, so that there are many ways, uh, many technological measures uh, in, the, in our ammunition and uh, classes are always by the side of the IMO doing a wide variety of uh, projects and great initiatives. Thank you. Thank you, John. Um, I guess it's, a, it's an all-encompassing topic and uh, try to give a high-level overview of uh, across the board of where we stand and uh, what uh, kind of key next steps. Uh, so we don't have enough time for a debate on the issues and I think there's a lot of uh, things that could be debated on. Uh, but uh, due to, to the lack of time, I want to thank all the, all the panelists uh, on this session today, thank the organizers, and uh, hopefully uh, that was uh, useful for, for a number of you. Thank you. I'd like to thank the, uh, the, panel, the moderating panelists for a very rebellious topic, which of course I think is one comment. We are verging on the difficulties of the timing because these things take time to resolve. And secondly, the risk of, uh, of constant what we call greenwashing, which I think perhaps we could take through to the next uh, venue. Um, thank you very much, everybody. The next. Uh